Um, well, we are in week two of a six-week series where we are looking at why on earth are you here? From God's perspective, why did he create you? What is your purpose for existing? And working through answering this question is a journey. Um, it's not a couple of weeks. It's not going to happen in three weeks. It's actually a six-week, 40-day process that we're entered into last week, the goal of which is at the end of that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt why you're here, why God dreamed you up, why God created you. And this series is based on um, this book. It's called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. Um, it's been read by millions and millions of people. Um, it's got a thousand Bible verses that are kind of the foundation for it. Um, it's broken up into 40 days of reading. They're probably between 10 and 20 minutes of reading per day. Um, and the question is, would you be willing to invest 40 days of your time to find out God's purpose for you so you could live it out the rest of your life? Like, is 40 days of 10, 15 minutes a day worth it to you to find that out? I hope that it will. But here's how you can get the most out of this series. Um, it's really, really simple. Um, first off is I want you to buy this book. I want you to get it. Um, we've got copies out in the lobby. We're selling them for $15. You can pay cash or credit card. We will get this book in your hands. I want you to leave with this book if you don't have one. If you can't afford it, we will take care of that for you. Just let us know. We'll give you one. Um, but I want you to get this book, and you can catch up from last week to this week really, really easily. The way this is designed is the, the message on that Sunday kicks off the week's readings. So last week we started the series. There's been seven days of readings. You can, get, you can pick this up today and you can catch up pretty easily by reading two or three a day and you'll be back on track. So get this book. Second thing to do if you want to really get the most out of this series, commit to reading all 40 days. Um, see, a lot of times we get books and we read through the first like two, three quarters, uh, two, you know, Two quarters of it, two, two, half of it, three quarters, and we're like, ah, oh, we just get tired and, and, and wash out. No, read, commit to reading all 40 days of this book. And then last one, this is the most important one, and that is join a life group. That's on purpose. It's an on purpose life group. And we've got a slide that I want to put up for you to show you how to do that. Because we say this regularly, you'll grow more spiritually in a circle than you will a row. You're sitting in a row right now. You're going to grow a little bit here on Sunday mornings. But if you circle up with other people, do life with them for a little while and talk about what you're learning and what God's saying to you, you're going to grow a whole lot more because you're in community. You're going to make some friends and you're going to actually hear God talking to other people too, which is really encouraging. And so here is my challenge to you. If you have not joined a life group for this series, we are asking you to join one for six weeks. They start tonight. The very first small group, life group, starts tonight on this series. The easiest way to do it is you can text groups to 407-278-7291 or after service, go to the starting point area um, and we will sign you up today because there are groups starting tonight. We have a couple of groups that are, that are meeting on Monday nights that we really want to fill up. If you are willing to invest an hour and a half on a Monday night for six weeks, you will not regret that you did. You will actually grow more doing that than you will just coming here and reading the book on your own. So that's my challenge to you. Jump into a life group for six weeks. If all the people in it that are super weird, you don't have to be in it after six weeks, okay? And they're not going to be super weird. We have some of the most incredible people I know in this church, and you will make some very, very good friends. Um, but would you please do that? Um, that is kind of that next step. Some of you are wondering, you know, serving is one of your next steps. Joining a life group is one of your next steps. But let me go ahead and recap last week just a little bit um, before we move on into 
to today, we asked last week, why are people so confused about their purpose? Um, Why is there so much conjecture out there about humanity and the creation of humanity and why we are here? Um, And we answered it very simply because most of the time when we're trying to answer that question, we start in the wrong place. See, most people, when it comes to their purpose, they start with themselves and they go, okay, what do I want to be? What, what should I do with my life? What are my goals, my ambitions, my dreams, my future? All the while, the Bible says this, Job 12.10, it is God who directs the lives of his creatures, which he created every one of us. Everyone's life is in his power. And as we said last week, this is super powerful to understand your purpose was chosen before you were born. Your purpose was actually um, chosen before the world was made. God had already purposed you in his heart. So crystal clear in scripture that God's purpose for you was there before the beginning of the world. And so to find your true authentic purpose, you have to start with God. You cannot get to your life purpose starting with you. You can't get there from here. You have to go to God. That's why even if you feel like you know God's purpose for you, I hope that you'll hold on to it a little loosely during this series. Because God might have something to say about that. He might want to change how you see your purpose or actually give you a a fresh one, a new one that's just different altogether. So I hope you'll hold on to it loosely. And if you are here and you don't even know what you believe about God, um, you've not accepted him into your life, you're actually here just kind of checking out this God thing, I'm glad you're here. Um, Because even if you don't believe in him, doesn't change the fact that you were purposed before God made you because there are no unpurposed people. Every one of us were created with a purpose in mind. And since our purpose begins with God, the statement that we ended the service with last week is the statement we're going to begin the service with this week. And that is, it's not about me. It's all about God. This will be very freeing for some of you. It's not about me. It's all about God. We're going to say that together. I want you to say it loud and proud like you mean it. You guys ready? One, two, three. It's not about me. It's all about God. We're going to say that again. It's not about me. It's all about God. That is the beginning of finding your purpose is you start with God. So let me pray for us, and then we will jump into the rest of the day. Um, God, thank you for this morning, and I thank you that you planned us on purpose for a purpose, and that you want us to discover that, and that you want to use days like today to help um, answer some of the questions that many of us have had our whole life, and that is, why did you create us? Why did you put us together with our unique abilities and skills and mindset and personality? God, would you just um, remove our uh, anything that's hindering your voice from getting through? And um, Lord, would you just allow us to hear you, maybe for the first time today, um, help us to hear your voice loud and clear. In your holy name, amen. Okay, so today is the first of five purposes that we're going to cover over the next four weeks, starting with today, is the first purpose that you were created by God for. And I'm just going to jump right into the notes. If you have a program, there's a note sheet in there. Um, I want you to take that out. And I would love for you to take notes during this series. And here is why. You never know when God is going to just say something to you or you're just going to have a thought and it's going to be a fleeting one. But if you write it down, you might be able to come back and capture that a little bit later and actually process through it. So I want you to take notes today, and all those fill-in-the-blanks are all going to be starting right now. Um, Here is your purpose number one. The very first purpose God created you is you were made for God's pleasure. You were made for God's pleasure. God did not need to make you. He chose to make you and create you for his own enjoyment. You exist for his benefit, 
for his glory, for his purposes, and for his delight. Last week we said that God made you to love you. He's a relational God. He's already proved it by sending his son Jesus to earth to die on the cross for your sins. This week is the flip side of that. God made you to love him back. God made you so that he could love you, and he made you to love him back. Bringing God pleasure or loving God back is called worship. That is worship. And you may think that's a churchy word, but everybody worships. Everybody worships something because you were wired by God to worship. I don't know if you know that. God built you to worship. It's as natural as eating or breathing. He put it in your DNA. You couldn't stop worshiping if you wanted to because it's part of being human. And if you don't worship God, if you don't worship God, you're going to find a substitute very quickly. You'll worship your kids. You'll worship your job. You'll worship your money. You'll worship your career. You'll worship sports figures, football. You'll even worship entertainers. What was all of that? Worship, right? Now, do you think anybody had to teach people to do that? Did they think they had little classes? Hey, come here, let me show you how to worship Michael Jackson. No, we just do it. And I'm just telling you, if you were, if you were alive when Michael Jackson was at his peak, he was one of the best entertainers that the world knew at the time. He was unbelievable. Like, who in here did not try to moonwalk if you watch Michael Jackson dance, right? Every single one of us, right? Like, we all learned how to moonwalk. Why? Because I'm telling you, you watched that guy. You were moved, which moved you to worship. We are designed by God to worship something so that we might worship him. You are wired for worship. You can go to any culture in the world and you will find worshipers. So here's one of my goals today is to shift and change your understanding of what worship is, specifically what it means to worship God. I want to shift and change that because your first purpose, according to God, is all about worship. It's loving God back. 
And in the church, we've done a horrible job of teaching about worship because when I say the word worship in a spiritual sense, what do you think of? When I say worship, what do you think of? Singing, right? That's what everybody thinks of. And you limit it to that. Well, let me just tell you what I want to do today. Worship is far more than music. You know there's no such thing as Christian music. Not a thing as Christian music. Now, there are Christian lyrics, but not Christian music. And I think in the church, we worship worship sometimes. I've had people say, well, I don't want to be a part of your church because they have literally said to me, I need my worship. Um, I need to have lots of worship during my church services. I need how it makes me feel. I need how it fills me up because that's what I like and that's what I need. So I'm going to go somewhere else that will give me what I want. And I've always struggled with that because true worship of God actually is not for your benefit. Worship is actually for God's benefit. And I love how Rick Warren says this in his book. He says, if you have ever said, I didn't get anything out of worship today, you worshiped for the wrong reason. Worship isn't for you. It's for God. We don't worship to please ourselves. Our motive is to bring glory and pleasure to our creator. So let's break down this word worship. In its essence, worship is not singing songs. Worship is knowing and loving God. Worship is knowing and loving God. It's the answer to the question, what do you give a God that has everything? And I don't know if you guys have family members like this, but they literally have everything. So at Christmas time, you're like, what do I get them? For their birthdays, you're like, ugh, like what can I get them that they don't have because they have everything? That's the question. What do you give a God who has everything? Well, worship is giving God the one thing he doesn't have that only you can give him, and that is your love. Worship is giving God the one thing he doesn't have that only you can give him, and that is your love. God cannot make you love him. God will not make you love him because that wouldn't be love. That's one of the beauties of the way God created us with free will so that there could be a love relationship between him and us. So he can't take your love from you. Your love has to be given to him. God already loves you, and when we love him back, that's worship. And that brings God pleasure. So let me give you an image in, uh, in your mind. When you love God back, that puts a smile on God's face. In fact, I love the way that Rick Warren in the book says it this way, the smile of God is the goal of your life. The smile of God is the goal of your life. You are capable of making the creator of the universe smile. Your life can put a smile on his face. And if you make God smile, don't you think you'll smile as well? All right, so this is what I want to do. I want you to turn to the person next to you and just smile at them. Just smile at them right now. Just smile. Just smile. Isn't that cool? Like, I'm telling you, it's hard to not smile back at somebody that's smiling at you, right? Like, you don't want somebody smile at you and you're like, you know, that's hard to do. I was thinking about what what does it feel like to make God smile? Um, It hit hit me this week what what that might feel like. And as many of you guys know, in winters in Florida, um, winters are brutal, right? I mean, they're bad. This last week, like two days, I had to wear pants and long sleeve shirt. Like it's horrible here in Florida in winter. Um, But but it it also helped me this week because I thought whenever I thought of what does it mean to make God smile, what does it feel like? It literally, um, it's like the warmth of the sun on a cold day. Um, I was leaving the office on Tuesday. I walked into the back hallway, which isn't air conditioned. And it was like Antarctica back there as I was walking out of the building. And when I walked out, it was was, the way the sun was coming down. It was shady for about five steps. And then that sixth step, I stepped into the sunlight and it literally warmed my whole body. It was like, like just this warmth that just filtered over my whole body. And it just hit me on Tuesday. I'm like, that's what God's smile is like. 
It's like the warmth of the sun on a cold day, and it just filters through your whole body. The goal of your life, the goal of your life is to make God smile. And why does the smile of God warm you up? Because when you make God smile, it's worship. And when you worship, you're living out and experiencing one of the purposes that you were created for. And when you live out God's purposes, life begins to make sense. It's one of the things you were created for. So I want to take the rest of our time and I want to give you three ways that you can live a lifestyle of worship, that you can bring God pleasure, that you can actually put a smile on God's face. Three ways to do this. You can do it every single day of your life. You can make God smile. And we find the answer to the question um, uh, of, of, of how do we make God smile. Uh, we find in a very famous passage of Scripture, Jesus is asked, um, very, very point blank, what is the greatest commandment of all the things that you desire us to do? Because Jesus, God in the flesh, what's the most important to live out? What, what is it? Tell me. And Jesus answers. He says, he says in Mark 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. Now, the first two words that I have underlined, the most important thing you can do in your life is? Love God. God. What's the most important thing you can do with your entire life is love God. In fact, you were created to love God. It's one of your first and biggest purposes. And then Jesus gives us three ways to do that in this passage. And I want to give you all three, and we're going to jump right into the first one. It's loving God with your heart and soul, and it's this. Worship is expressing my affection to God. Worship is expressing my affection to God. God wants you to love him passionately and supremely. Above all else, the most important thing you can know in life is that God loves you. The most important thing you can do in life is love him back. The most important thing that you can know in your life is that God loves you. That's why we say it almost all every week here. And the most important thing you can do is love him back. Because God wants a loving relationship with you where he loves you and you choose of your own free will to love him back. Exodus 34, 14 so it tells us about God. He's a God who is passionate about his relationship with you. He's not passionate about you following rules. He's not passionate about you being religious. He's not passionate about you checking off all the boxes. He is passionate about his what with you? Relationship. It's relationship. And some of you think, oh, God's too busy to care about me. Um, you know, and he, he doesn't know my name. Let me just tell you, your name is engraved on the palm of his hands. He's never taken his eyes off you. It's like, it's like when my kids were little, I would sneak in the room just to watch them sleep, right? I don't know if you've ever done that. You just, just want, I, I'd sneak around the corner and watch them play by themselves just because I loved everything about them. I love them. I wanted to be involved. And that's not unlike God. He loves you, wants you to love him back with your heart and soul. Hosea 6, 6, um, we're told point blank, God speaking, I don't want your sacrifices. I want your love. I don't want your offerings. I want you to know me. And I'm just telling you, when you love someone and you are in love with someone, don't you want them so badly to love you back? That's like the fulfillment of your love is them loving you back. That fulfills the loving relationship that you have, which always makes me think about when Melissa and I were dating, um, I knew six months in that I was in love with her and that she was the one. Six months in, and I'm just like, I'm 19 years old. I had never really been in love. I'd been in infatuation a couple times, but had never really been in love with anybody. Um, and, and so I decide I need to tell her. And uh, we are sitting on this piano bench, um, and I'm, I'm playing the piano for her and, you know, just wooing her. I'm sure it was beautiful. Um, and, I, and I was just waiting for the right time. And I had envisioned this moment in my head. I had envisioned this moment where, um, you know, I say, I love you. And time slows down. 
and tears burst from her eyes in slow motion. And she says, I love you back. And we create this Hallmark cheese moment like no other. Like, it's just like, like doves fly by and like, I don't fireworks go off. I don't know. I just had it in my mind. This was going to be amazing. So I'm, I'm waiting for the right moment. And I finally stop and I feel like, okay, this is it. And I look her in the eyes and I just say, I need to tell you something. She's like, yeah. And uh, I mean, we're like this far apart. It's like just perfect. I mean, perfect setting. And I just say, I need to tell you that I, I love you. I had never said this to anybody other than like my family and God. Like that was it. Like this is the first time I ever said that. And her response, her response, um, her response was nothing. Like literally crickets. <laughs> like, like she just looked at me. I'm holding my breath. And she's just blinking her eyes. Like looking at me. And I'm like looking for anything on her face that even registers that I said the most important words I could say to anybody. And she just keeps blinking. And I'm holding my breath, I'm waiting, and finally her mouth starts to move, and I'm like, here it comes, she's going to tell me, and she looks at me, and she says, thank you. That's it! She says, thank you. She does not say, I love you back, nothing. She just says, thank you. Awkward hallmark moment, awkward moment. My first ever love, love you, and I get a thank you in return. I wanted her to say I love you back so badly. Why? Because I had put myself out there. I dove off the cliff, landed on my face, right? That's just what happened. Now, to give her some credit, she did tell me that she loved me two months later. Um, and she just said I wasn't sure, so I didn't want to say something that I wasn't sure about, which I'm like, cool, she didn't give into the pressure of the moment. And I just remind her about it every five years or so. Okay, so, um, but that risk, that risk of putting yourself out there relationally and longing to hear I love you back, God has done that with you. God has put himself out there. He sent his son to earth to die on the cross to pay for your sins, to be raised three days later, to ascend into heaven and to offer you salvation for believing in him and to forgive you of all your sins. He's already done that. 2,000 years ago, God jumped off the cliff and said, I love you. And he longs to hear us say, I love you back with our lives by giving our lives to him and by doing two very, very practical things. Because the first purpose of your life is to know God and to love God, to become best friends with God. Two real practical ways to express your affection to God are to praise him and thank him continually. How do you live a life of expressing affection to God? You praise him and you thank him continually. God smiles when we praise him and we thank him. It's a simple way to express your affection to God. Few things feel better than heartfelt praise and affection and, and, and appreciation from someone, right? Isn't it nice when you're appreciated for something that you've done? When you praise God for who he is and you thank him for what he's done, it puts a smile on God's face. It gives you that warmth on a cold day. It's worship. Scripture is so clear. Look around you at everything in your life that is good. God has given that to you a thousand different ways. He has said, I love you to you already. And so when you say, thank you, God, for all that you've done, and you start listing them, um, it just brings a warmth into your life because you're responding to the love of God. And like when you say, God, thank you for the blue sky up there. Thank you for breath in my lungs. Thank you for my kids, for living in Florida, for, for Disney World that I have food on the table, that I know you, that you care for me, for my friends. Thank you that the Patriots lost last week. Thank you that Green Bay is going to lose this week. Like when you just are thankful to God, you just got to remember when we make God smile, we can't help but smile back. When we enjoy what God has done for us, when we express that enjoyment to God, it brings him joy and it increases our joy.
You will feel the warmth of his smile. You, God has very deep feelings for you, and he wants to help you develop very deep feelings for him by building that love relationship with him. The second way we can put a smile on God's face and worship God is loving God with your mind is worship is focusing my attention on God. Worship is focusing my attention on God. That's loving God with all your mind. God wants your focus. God has focused his attention on you. He never takes his eyes off you, wants to teach you to focus your attention on him, to think of him often. Now, how do you set your, your, your focus on God? Two ways. Write them down. I didn't put them in your notes. First, you can establish a daily quiet time where you just take a few minutes every day to stop everything else to focus on God and you talk to him, you read his word, you focus on him, you say thanks, you list the things that you're thankful for. Um, you just have a quiet time where you focus on God. Matthew 6, 6, Jesus is teaching. He says, here's what I want you to do. Find a quiet, secluded place. So you won't be tempted to role play before God. And what that means is go pray by yourself so you won't be in a group of people and feel like you got to pray all special and look good and play the part. He doesn't want you to be fake. Go get to a quiet, secluded place and just be there as simply and honestly as you can imagine. I love that. And man, as you can manage. The focus when you do that will shift from you to God and you'll begin to sense his grace. Do this and the focus will shift from you to God. And you can do this anywhere. Just find a place where you can be alone with God and focus, set aside time, reading his word, praying, meditating on what he has said or what he has to say. And the second thing you can do very, very easy to focus your attention on God is develop a constant conversation with him. You'll never grow a close relationship with God by just attending church once a week or even having a quiet time. Friendship with God is built by sharing your life experiences with him thinking about him through the day, talking about anything and everything. And that's just what prayer is, is just talking to God. And if you do that, you'll be amazed at the peace it brings to your life. Isaiah 26, 3, you will keep in perfect peace all who trust in you, all whose thoughts are fixed on you. And I love this next statement. When you fix your thoughts on God, God fixes your thoughts. When you fix your thoughts on God, God fixes your thoughts. When you focus on yourself, the inevitable result is anxiety, guilt, discouragement, um, worry, all the negative emotions that go with that. But when you shift to God, what do you start sensing? Gratitude, hope, peace, confidence, and love. When you fix your thoughts on God, God will fix your thoughts. So worship God with all of your heart passionately, with your mind thoughtfully. And then uh, before I give you the third one, we're going to receive our offering. So for those of you... um, that are here for the first time, uh, we want to go ahead and let the, let the basket go by. Ushers, you guys can come on down. Let the basket go by in this moment. Um, we are not interested in your resources. Um, just please don't feel any obligation in this moment. But for those of you that call Kensington home, this is where we give back to God from what he's blessed us with. And for those of you that give online, thank you for doing that. That is the easiest way to give here. It's go to our website, kensingtonorlando.org giving, and you can set up online giving there. And thank you for those of you that do that regularly. Um, it is a super huge help to us on our budgeting process. So worship God with all your heart passionately, with your mind thoughtfully. And this last one is love God with all your strength. Worship is trusting and obeying God with my life. Worship is trusting and obeying God with my life. Trusting God completely means having faith that he knows what is best for you. 
Psalm 147.11, he takes pleasure in those who honor him and those who trust in his constant love. Trusting God is an act of worship. When you trust his direction and guidance, it makes him smile. Now, there's a second word that we have for worship, and that is obey. If you want to make God happy, make him smile, obey him. It's a way to say, I love you. Jesus couldn't have said it more clearly. John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. And by obey, it's wholehearted obedience. If God says it, I'm going to do it, not because I have to, but because I love God. It's a way of worshiping is obedience. Here's a problem many of us have. We don't trust God's way is better than our way when it comes to how we live our life. We don't trust that he knows best, but that we know best. And the things we agree with or, well, because of our lack of trust, we don't agree with God's ways, so we don't do his ways. Because we don't trust him, we don't agree with him, and because we don't agree with him, we don't obey. Well, here's the thing. Obedience to God is not based on whether you agree with what's being asked of you. It's about doing what God says to do, the things we agree with and the things we might struggle to agree with. And I'll just tell you this. You will never understand some of the commands of God until you obey them because obedience unlocks understanding. And you will just trust him and you'll do what he says and you'll go, oh, that's why he's asking me to do that. I had no idea that this would be the outcome because sometimes we don't understand until we do it and it suddenly makes sense in our life and we're like, oh, wow. Wow, trusting God and obeying him really is good for my life. It really is the best way to go. It's a way of worshiping. Unfortunately, many of us, we pick and choose um, which things we're going to obey. If what God asks is unreasonable, difficult, expensive, unpopular, we ignore them. But the good, easy, simple ones that we agree with, we will do. So, so what we do is we live this dichotomy of, well, I'll attend church, but I, I won't tithe. I'll, I'll read my Bible, but I won't forgive the person that hurt me. Um, I won't steal anything from anyone, but I will cheat on my taxes. Um, I won't lie to my friends, but eh, my parents, I can lie to them. Um, I'll give to the poor, but I'm going to continue to live with my girlfriend or boyfriend that I'm not married to because it just makes sense financially. Um, it's like there's all these things that we, 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 we do the ones we agree with, the ones that we struggle to agree with or we don't doesn't make sense on paper. We just go, no, I'm not going to do those. Well, you know how you, how you worship God is you obey all of his commandments. Now, if you are not a follower of Jesus, you should be glad because none of this stuff applies to you. And not to say don't do it, but just to say, if you are a follower of God, if you are a child of God, and you are a Christian here today, it brings pleasure to your heavenly Father. It puts a smile on his face when you trust and obey him. An act of obedience is an act of worship. Why? Because it proves you really love him. So if you really love God, obey him. And when you do, it puts a smile on God's face. Now, what does this all boil down to, which you're going to be talking about in your, um, uh, in your groups, um, not this week, but next week? Everything you do in your life can be an act of worship. Every human activity can be, except sin, can be done for God's pleasure. If you do it with an attitude of praise and thanksgiving to God, you can wash the dishes as an act of worship. You can fix your car, clean your house, raise a family, lead a meeting, write a computer program, all to the glory of God. In fact, I had a moment of worship on the driving range on Friday at Orange County National. Um, I had just like, I've been working on, <coughs> on my wedge game <coughs> from 70 yards out. 
I used to be awesome in college. And like 10 years ago, my wedge game just left me. And so I'm working on a 70-yard wedge shot. And I literally, I lasered five in a row right in there, like within five feet of the pin. Like I'm, I'm pretty sure every one of those shots, I could have beaten one of our resident touring pros, Brian Gay. He, he, I think I could have beat him every shot. Like I could have won money off of him if he would bet me. Um, be a dollar, him a thousand dollars. Okay. So it's like, it's, it's one of those things where I'm telling you, I could have beat him on five shots. And after my fifth one, I literally just went, thank you, God. Like it was like a miracle that I had hit that many good shots but they were so smooth and buttery and perfect and flew just like I want them. They were everything I saw in my head. I just went, thank you for that, God. And it was this moment where I went, that's worship. Like I just had a moment with God where I was just glorifying him by saying thank you for something that he had done in me. And I'm just like right there on Orange County National Driving Range was a moment where I felt God smile. I felt God smile in that moment at just being thankful for something that he had done. God doesn't want your worship to just be a church thing, but a whole life thing. Romans 12.1, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around, hitting wedge shots life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him, not for you, for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, Fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. And what is that saying? It's teaching your first purpose. Real worship is a lifestyle. It's not a couple songs at the end of a service. It's a lifestyle where you take everything you do, and you do it as an offering to God, fixing your attention on Him. And I'm just telling you, when you live in light of eternity, the fact that here is not all there is, but there's more. There's more to come. Your focus changes from how much pleasure am I getting out of my life too? How much pleasure is God getting out of my life? When you focus on eternity, the question changes from how much pleasure am I getting out of my life to how much pleasure is God getting out of my life? And you know when you put a smile on God's face, you put a smile on yours. It's a different way of living. And how is this unique to you? Because you're like, well, what, what is my purpose? You know, your purpose is within this because you're the only one who can bring glory to God the way that you can. You're it with your unique talents and gifts and personality and unique relationship that you cultivate with God. Only you can make God smile the way that you can. Only you can worship him the way that you can. Who else on the planet is going to laser beam five wedges into a pin and say, thank you, God, that was awesome. This dork right here is the only one on this planet that's going to do that with five wedge shots in the way that I can. It's unique to me. What was I doing? I was fulfilling my purpose in that moment. And I'll just say the greatest mistake you can make in your life is to miss your primary purpose to get to know God and to love him. And so the question for some of you is, have you started a relationship with God yet? Have you begun to walk towards that purpose? Have you said yes to God's offer of eternal life? And if you've never crossed the line of faith, fulfilling this purpose in your life begins when you say yes to God. It begins when you say yes to God, when you accept Jesus into your life, confessing that God sent his son Jesus to earth to die for your sins, was resurrected, and now you can invite him into your life to be your Lord and Savior. When you say yes to that, you begin to fulfill one of the first purposes you were created for. God is offering you a relationship with him, an eternal life in exchange for believing in his son. That's an easy exchange to make when you look in light of eternity. So if you've never invited Jesus into your life, I want to 
end the message portion of today by giving you the opportunity to do that. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes, everybody? And if today's your day to accept Jesus into your life and say yes to God, I want to ask you to just pray with me. You can use my words. Um, There's nothing special about the words. It's more the posture of your heart. And you can say this silently to God. (coughs) And say, God, thank you for beginning to reveal my purpose today. I want to learn to know you and love you. I believe you sent your son Jesus to earth to die for my sins and be raised from the dead. And that through him, I can have a relationship with you. So today I invite Jesus into my life to be my Lord and Savior. Teach me how to live my life for you and to worship you every day and fulfill one of the purposes you created me for. In your holy name, amen.